0: Good morning friends. Today's message is titled The Communion of What? My base text today comes from the book of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Two Sundays ago, At Praise and Worship, the church I attend, we recited the Apostles' Creed. Now, this is not unusual for many churches, but here is my confession. Having been made to memorize it way back in grade school, and since then reciting it thousands and thousands of times, my confession is I often rattle through it hardly thinking about what it all means. But this Sunday, for some reason, when I read the words on the screen, I believe in the communion of saints, I suddenly stopped reading and did not finish the rest of the creed. When we were told to sit down again, I began to reflect on what I'd been preaching and teaching in the last few months. I had been trying to emphasize that the church is not a building or a denomination. The church is people. It's a ministry. It's a mission. In addition, I think I also said or wrote something to the effect that the church is both local and universal. It also made me think of our current worship center, Praise and Worship, and the new mission that I am privileged to lead starting February of 2022, a place called Restore. Now, driving home that day, I thought of all the places of worship in the Branson-Hollister area, and yes, there are many, many churches in our community. And thinking about that, reminded me that there is also a sense in which the church refers to all true believers scattered everywhere in every nation. Arriving home, I went back to a few studies I had done over the past few years, and while studying, was reminded that the communion of saints was a late addition to the Apostles' Creed. It was actually added several centuries after the Holy Catholic or Universal Church. Now, that led me to remembering the Holy Catholic Church teaches us that the church spans the globe. The communion of saints teaches that the church transcends time. So, what exactly does the phrase communion of saints mean? Well, let's start with communion, which translates the Greek word koinonia. It's a very common New Testament word that means fellowship or partnership. It means to share together in a close relationship. Now, in secular Greek, it was used for a marriage or a business partnership or a community or a nation bound together by common goals. But preeminently, the word applies to friendship. Acts 2.42 uses this word to describe the intimate closeness of the early Christians who, quote, lived together, ate their meals together, and shared all things in common, end of quote. The word saint, which is agios in the Greek, means holy one. In the New Testament, the word saint is kind of a synonym for Christian or believer. Now, Paul used the word saint in several of his letters to describe ordinary believers. He wrote to the saints in Rome, the saints in Corinth, the saints in Ephesus, the saints in Philippi. Now, to many of us, a saint refers to an extraordinary Christian one who has been canonized by the Church of Rome. But the New Testament never uses the word that way. It always applies to all believers. In other words, if you know Jesus, you're a saint of God. To say that we believe in the communion of saints means that we believe there exists an intimate connection between all true believers and Jesus. Now, we could probably say it this way, everyone who belongs to Jesus belongs to me and I belong to them. Now, I'm going to draw a simple conclusion from this, and it's this. Our fellowship ought to be as wide as the whole body of Christ. Now, it's been my joy in nearly 40 years as a pastor to discover that God has his people scattered in some very unusual places. I have learned that there are many different ways to worship God in spirit and truth. For example, I learned to do a little worship dance in Nigeria, and no, I'm not going to do it for you. I have clapped and I have cheered with Haitian and South African believers. I have rejoiced with thousands of people at the Million Man Crusade in Nigeria. I've shared at a charismatic congregation in Russia, and on and on. And yes, I love to worship with my friends in prison. To say that God has continually pulled me out of my comfort zone over the years to show me that His family is much bigger than I ever imagined would be an understatement. Romans 1.16 is very helpful in this regard. Uh, I read it again, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Now the last phrase kind of introduces the universal dimension of the gospel. The Jews were God's chosen people. And although most of the Jews have not become followers of Christ yet, the gospel still has the power to save them if they will only believe. The Greeks were the Gentiles, if you will, that is, all non-Jews. It's no wonder Paul was not ashamed. The gospel has the power to save people without regard to the distinctions that divide us. It has the power to save without regard to race or education or age or income or skin color, or family background, or your religious preference, or your degree of moral degradation. The gospel of Jesus has the power to build a bridge over the chasm of race and education, age, social status, skin color, family background, language, culture, and everything else that tends to divide us today. So friends, when we are firm on the gospel, the good news, we have joyful fellowship. We have this communion with God's people from many backgrounds. Now, let's flesh this out a little bit. Let's start with the, this, this statement. Uh, first of all, we have communion with Christ. Now, we see this very clearly in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, friends, everything we do is based on this truth. We have fellowship with God through his Son, Jesus, the Christ. And only in him do we have fellowship with one another. Now, if you skip this or minimize this or gloss over it, then what you gather with is nothing more than a social club. Now, what sets us apart from the Rotary Club or the Toastmasters Club or the Country Club is that we have fellowship with God. Now, remember this instead. We are the supernatural society of God's redeemed people. The church is a fellowship of men and women who have a personal relationship with Jesus the Messiah. That's the whole point of the Lord's Supper. We call it communion because it represents our fellowship with Jesus through his broken body and his shed blood. Here we enter into a personal communion with our Lord, and we share that communion with other believers in Christ. Now, the second thing I want to remind you of is that we have communion with the saints on earth. Now let's go back to 1 John chapter 1 for a moment. In verse 7, he adds an important dimension to what he's already said. He writes, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now, that little phrase, one another, refers both to God and to other believers. Walking in the light allows us to have fellowship with God and with other believers, no matter what silo they happen to worship him. Because God is light, and we are children of light. When we walk in that light, we are where God is and where his children are, no longer in the darkness of sin and rebellion. And once we, get, we begin to grasp this, all of our relationships will be radically changed. Now, we may be sinners, and yes, we are. We are sinners saved by God's grace. And that changes how we treat uh, our family, our, our, our children, our friends. That changes the way we deal with our relatives. Uh, and once we understand what God has done for us, we realize it's not about me because I'm not the center of the universe. It's about reaching out to other people in Jesus' name. Now, third, we have communion with the saints in heaven. Hebrews 12.1 speaks of this when it says we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now, witnesses is the Greek word martyro, uh, martyrs. It, it pictures the saints on earth in the arena while the saints in the heavenly grandstands sort of cheer them on. Now, looking around, you, you would see James and John, and over there is Paul, and you see Peter and John, Mark, not far away. And as you, as you would continue to look, you would see your loved ones who died in Christ. They'd all be kind of shouting, you can do it, trust in Jesus, keep believing. That's the shouting from heaven. And when you feel like quitting, you can hear them calling out to you, don't give up now, you're not that far from the finish line. Now, the question is, can the saints who are in the presence of Jesus today really see us on earth? Now, I don't know the precise answer, but Hebrews 12, 1 at least allows us to think of them as cheering us on. And that image is part of the communion of saints. I mean, death cannot separate us from the saints in heaven. Now, at this point, it helps to remember that heaven is not as far away as we might think. Now, when I was a young boy growing up in Nebraska, I kind of pictured heaven as a a wonderful land so far away that I'd need a rocket ship to get there. Now, Hebrews 12, verses 22 to 24, offer a, a little bit different picture than that rocket ship. These verses tell us something amazing about what the gospel has done for us. Listen to what this anonymous writer to the book of Hebrews writes. He says, But you have come to Mount Zion But I just want you to notice something here. Three times the writer says, you have come. You have come. Now, the Greek word uh, proserkomai uh, literally means to come near. It's a compound word consisting of to come and near. Or another way to say it is, you've gotten face to face. See, once we were far from God, but now in Jesus, we have come into God's very presence. Once we were far away, But now we kind of live in the presence of angels. And now in Jesus we have come into the presence of the spirits of righteous men made perfect, a clear reference to believers in heaven. I think that's exactly what he's saying. He's saying we're not that far from heaven or from the angels. We're not that far from loved ones in heaven. We're not that far from God. We're not that far from Jesus. You know, heaven's a real place. It's where Jesus is right now, and it's not not off in the distance. See, between us and heaven, there's a veil called death. And to us, that veil seems dark and forbidding, but in Jesus, that veil has become the portal to eternal reality. Now, perhaps we should think of all the eternal realities as simply being in a different dimension of reality, not visible in this life, but near us and around us all the time, like the angels surrounding the armies of Israel that Elisha showed to his servants in 2 Kings chapter 6. I mean, the angels were there all the time, but the servant could not see them until his eyes were open. I'm reflecting back on a couple of uh, uh, old hymns of the church that talk about this communion of saints in heaven. Uh, some of you may be familiar with a hymn called The Church's One Foundation. And listen to this. This is the last verse. It says, Yet she on earth has union with God the three in one, and one, in mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. O happy ones and holy, Lord, give us grace that we, like them, the meek and lowly, on high may dwell with Thee. There's another old hymn, which, yes, I had to memorize this too in grade school, and I'm glad I did, because it it also speaks to the truth. It says, And when the strife is fierce, the warfare long, steals on the ear the distant triumph song, and hearts are brave again, and arms are strong. Alleluia, alleluia. Now, as Martin Luther would say, what does this mean? Well, death cannot destroy our fellowship with the saints of God. We are one with them, they're one with us. I don't mean that we can communicate with people in heaven. The Bible specifically forbids that. We're not talking about ghosts or visions or dreams or anything like that. We mean that the saints of God are alive in heaven while we are alive on earth, and they're not very far from us. And one day we're going to be reunited with them on a new heaven and a new earth. See, they're gone from our sight, but they're not gone from God. And they really aren't gone from us either. As we praise God this morning on earth... They join us in praising God in heaven. And that's this mystic, sweet communion the hymn writer had in mind. Now, theologians sometimes speak of the church militant and the church triumphant. Now, we are the church militant because the battle rages around us every day. And we're called to fight the good fight and to take on and put on the whole armor of God. But one day, we will all lay our weapons down. Our battles will be over. The victory won. And in that happy day, we join the church triumphant in heaven. Within, We're in the presence of Jesus. But whether we are on earth today or in heaven tomorrow, we are still part of the church of Jesus the Christ. Now, there's another verse of for all the saints that brings all the strands of truth together. It goes this way. Oh, bless communion, fellowship divine. We feebly struggle, they in glory shine. All are one in thee, for all are one in thee. Are thine, Alleluia, alleluia. Friends, you have a Savior. You can face your own death with courage and grace. But I would ask today, do you have a Savior? If you don't or aren't sure, I would urge you to place your life in the hands of Jesus right now. To run to the cross. To lay hold of Jesus. To trust Him as Lord and Savior. And to ask Him to take away your sins and to give you new life. Come to Jesus now and your life will never be the same again. And guess what? You'll join the communion of saints. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion. God bless.